What's up everyone, James here and welcome to another episode of the Aquarium Podcast. In this episode I just wanted to relive a memory from about 10 years ago when I visited some countries around the Pacific Ocean and how amazing and awe-inspiring it really was. I've always enjoyed exploring the world and in my younger years was fortunate enough to travel around the world on a gap year in which the journey took me to two amazing countries specifically where many of the saltwater or marine fish we get to enjoy today in our aquariums originate from, namely Fiji and Australia. These countries are more than famous for their vibrant fishes and coral reefs and some of the most visually and spectacular places to experience underwater. On my travels throughout Fiji, a small country of roughly 890,000 people, which is home to over 300 islands, it's safe to say I got to experience some of the most stunning aquatic creatures in the world. I remember walking along the beach of Nadi Bay and seeing all these tiny little yellow crabs literally dotted for miles. Every time I tried to get a good look, they would burrow back down in the little holes they had created for themselves. I now know, after all these years, that the little crab was a yellow lemon fiddler crab. Fiddler crabs are a group of 100 different species of small crustaceans that live along the shorelines of the warmer parts of the world. Their claim to fame is generally their great, greatly enlarged claw. Uh, the other one is usually smaller and is used to take care of all the fine motor tasks. And NASA also that the male waves to impress his prospective mates. Fortunately for me, these little fellas were the on only the tip of the iceberg in what I saw as I journeyed out to some of the surrounding islands. I remember visiting an island on my first visit to Fiji, yeah, I've been twice, called Mana Island. I have to say here was a different experience to exploring many of the other islands, more specifically, how culturally different it was, especially being able to experience life away from all the glorified hotels. I remember seeing locals to the island just out in the morning, completely naked and washing or swimming, uh, random dogs run along the beach and the areas in which the this island's backpackers communal areas for food. These buildings I remember run down and dilapidated with metal tin roofs. I must admit I did even see some of the locals living in similar conditions. With all that being said, the thing I most enjoyed visiting these places was to experience the culture, the sun, and most importantly take a swim and see what I could see. And I won't lie to you when I say it was out of this world. I didn't, and still surprisingly don't have a diving license, so snorkeling was the way I experienced the ocean at the time. The thing that hit me most in these parts of the Pacific um, were the corals, which were not as vibrant as I thought they would be, and found many colourless rocks and areas. It may have well been the areas I was visiting, when, which were mainly comprised of just rock, or thinking back, the area I swam in once alive many years ago but sadly died out over time. Or maybe it was farming. I do however remember seeing hundreds of fish swimming about back then and I wasn't the hardcore hobbyist I am today so I can't tell you much of the fish I saw. I do remember as it's so recognizable the common clownfish and some of its relatives such as the marine clown. I swam the ocean in different areas of this island for the week. I stayed and on one occasion I remember an interesting experience I had with one creature. I'd heard through many backpackers around and some locals to be careful when swimming in the waters for sea snakes. 
They mentioned that these snakes can be deadly if they bite you, which I must admit made me a, a little worried about entering the water um, after being told that. And in all fairness, throughout the time I was in Fiji, I never saw such animals. There was, however, one time I did. Again, certain memories in life stick out and this was one of them. I remember snorkeling above a reef, um, which was quite low down, and would often hold my breath and take a dive down for a closer look. I was happy about going about my day at, at the fish and the other corals when I noticed swimming a few feet below me was one of these very snakes, around roughly two foot long, covered in black and white stripes. As you can imagine, swimming in clear water, this snake was very bold in contrast and I remember thinking something loosely along the lines of, oh my goodness. <laughs> I sort of froze in the water and hoped it would pass. It would swim past. Luckily for me, it didn't notice me, but was quite scary, especially from what I'd heard. Turns out after, again, after some research, the fellow I came in contact with was a yellow-lipped sea crate or sometimes known as a banded sea crate, or commonly a sea snake. It spends much of its time underwater in order for it to hunt, but returns to land to digest, rest and reproduce. It has a very potent neurotoxic venom, which it uses to prey on eels and small fish. Because of their affinity to land, yellow-lipped sea crates often encounter humans, but the, the snakes are not aggressive and only attack when feeling threatened. Because yellow-lipped sea, yellow sea crates spend much of their time on land, they are often encountered by humans. They are frequently found in the water intake and exhaust pipes of boats. Yellow-lipped sea crates are also attracted to light and can be distracted by artificial sources of light, including hotels and other buildings on the coast. There are fewer recorded bites from this species compared to other venomous species, such as cobras and vipers, um, as it's less aggressive and tends to avoid humans. If they do bite, it's usually in self-defense when accidentally grabbed. Most sea snake bites occur when fishermen attempt to untangle the snakes from their fishing nets. After all that, looks like unless I have caused, I'd have caused this guy some serious stress, it wasn't as life-threatening as I had imagined in my head that day. For the most part, they were the most distinctive things I remember visiting Fiji. Um, a few months later, I spent some time in Australia, which is, as you may know, home to many varieties of exotic animals, both land and sea. And my adventures certainly got more exciting, especially when I ventured on a catamaran boat around the Whitsunday Islands. While sailing, I often spotted many sea turtles coming to the surface of the water to greet visitors, which I can't even explain how amazing that was. I remember seeing macaw parrots flying around the mainland and when we stopped in areas around the island spotted just as many amazing habitats for marine fish as you can think of. Coves, reefs, again many didn't look as vibrant as I'd imagined after seeing in films or on TV but I guess editing and enhanced colours makes these images look more vivid than they were. One thing which, unlike other aquariums, is that corals I saw were not under bright UV lights, but was amazing to see all these different varieties of corals. I remember seeing a lot of long branches in the water, which of course, where I believe the stony coral Acapora, were, sorry, the stony 
Acapora. Again, it was a long while back now, but can on occasion remember seeing some of the common and popular fish we have in our aquariums today within these reefs, some even curious enough to swim towards me. I often stayed in the water long after the other members of the group had left. It was a sense of awe and peace to be, be for lack of a better word, one with nature and get to experience these animals in their natural habitats. I only wish now I had spent the money and learned to dive and I can imagine the experience would have been so much more incredible. After a few weeks I travelled up the east coast of Australia to a town called Cairns and while staying there had to meet one of those life goals I wanted to do since booking my trip was to venture out and swim the Great Barrier Reef. According to the World Wildlife Foundation, a place in which over 5 million people visit each year, which is an absolutely insane amount. We took a trip on a massive boat, which is unfortunate, so different to the catamaran I sailed on through the Sundays. This was a proper big boat, smaller than a ship, but it was pretty large. We ventured right out into some of the popular hotspots and jumped right in. It was the most amazing experience. For miles, you could see every colour you could think of in fish or coral. Again, the colours of the corals wasn't as vibrant, but it was spe a spectacular sight to see the reef. The best and scariest part was swimming towards the reef's edge um, and just staring out into a complete blue abyss. There was nothing. It was actually quite haunting and I kept thinking, I'm going to see a great white shark in a minute. <laughs> One thing that was so cool to see was this appearance of an insanely massive fish which had huge lips and big eyes. It was insane. So friendly and swimming towards everyone to say hi. I forget the name of the fish the locals called it as it was a world famous one um, which often made an appearance but the fish was a Maori wrasse. Trust me, just Google the fish, it was massive. These guys are capable of reaching 2 meters long and weighing up to 180 kilograms. They are known for having a hump on their foreheads and colors can vary from blue-green to shades of green and purplish blue Another amazing experience was the amount of small fish just swimming around my head. It was out of this world, just treading water in the Pacific Ocean and literally to my goggles was no less than 50 little yellow fish looking right at me. It was one of those moments you never forget. After all these wonderful experiences and seeing marine fish in their nat natural habitats, I must admit, for the first time in over 10 years of reliving these memories, it really makes you appreciate where the fish we have today in our aquariums come from, and why we should not take these animals, or the hobby for that matter, for granted. Many of the marine animals and inverts we keep today are evermore becoming endangered in the wild, which is why it's important we take care of these animals and help protect them. For hobbyists, including myself, research is the best thing we can do to prevent mistakes and helping to replicate those natural conditions found in the wild to ensure they have the best life outside of their habitat that they can. Over the years, unfortunately, some animals have been portrayed to be easy to keep, such as goldfish, betters, clownfish, and so many others. Our Solaris clownfish, for example, are not endangered. However, in the last generation, 15 to 30% of the world's reefs have been lost. According to the ADW, some of the destruction has been caused by fishermen catching clownfish to sell as pets. 
According to National Geographic, since Finding Nemo premiered, clownfish sales have tripled. Conservationists are concerned about how the Nemo effect, as some areas are overfished to meet the demand for these popular aquarium fish. Also, according to the Aquarium Welfare Association, many people brought the clownfish without knowing how to properly care for them. Inspired by a line in the movie, hundreds of children flushed their clownfish down the, down the toilet in the hope of setting them free. Coral reefs have unfortunately taken a toll through farming and even global warming with what's known as bleaching. Coral bleaching happens when corals lose their vibrant colours and turn white. But there's a lot more to it than that. Coral are bright and colourful because of microscopic algae called zooxanthellae. The zooxanthellae live within the coral in a mutually beneficial relationship, each helping the other survive. But when the ocean environment changes, if it gets too hot for instance, the coral stresses out and expels the algae. As the algae leaves, the coral fades until it looks like it's been bleached. If the temperature stays high, the coral won't let the algae back and the coral will die. And why does bleaching matter though? Coral bleaching matters because once these corals die, reefs really come back. With a few corals surviving, they struggle to reproduce and the entire reef ecosystems on which people and wildlife depend deteriorate. Bleaching also matters because it's not an isolated phenomenon. According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, between 2014 and 2017, around 75% of the world's tropical reefs experienced heat stress severe enough to trigger bleaching. For 30% of the world's reefs, that heat stress was enough to kill coral. Some of these stats really do make you sit back and appreciate the fact that we are lucky enough to keep these animals in our homes and all the joys they give us. If you get the opportunity, I definitely recommend experiencing these natural habitats for yourselves. It really does help put things into perspective. Thanks for taking the time to listen, and I'll see you in the next one.